Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. It's episode number 529. Nice to see you. Oh, yeah. What's that? This is the Raspberry Pi killer, my oh. friend. It's super fast, super small, and it has an SATA backplane with RAID compatibility. I'm going to be building this tonight. Stick around. Here's what's coming up in the Category 5.TV newsroom. Broadcom has confirmed a $130 billion buyout offer for their rival, Qualcomm. Some iPhone users are left fuming over the new letter I bug. Tor has been leaking users' real IP addresses. And Australia's multi-million dollar broadband network is under attack from cockatoos. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on uh, Roku, Kodi, and other HLS video players. And for local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters, cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV, and I'm Robbie. I'm Jeff. I'm Sasha. So nice to have you here. And just want to say greetings to all of our new viewers here tonight. If you are uh, just tuning in for the first time especially, make sure you say hi. Get on over to our community forums, which you'll find on our website, category5.tv. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been here for a few weeks or, hey, if you've been here for years upon years, we still want to hear from you as well. We've also got a live chat room, so if you're able to tune in uh, on a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock Eastern time, you'd be able to tune in uh, and also participate in that live chat. So as yes. the questions are coming in, that's how it's done. So that's sure. a cool way to interact with us as well. But just want to say, hey, and thank you for tuning into the show. This has been a busy week for Robbie, I'll tell you. Yes. NEMS 1.3. I've been was following this yesterday. saga on Facebook with oh, you. Oh, lots of folks have. And you remember about a year, it was a year ago, I guess, yeah. that we featured NEMS 1.1. That's right. And so we're actually going to be looking at NEMS uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks because it has grown so much. And by that, I mean like the feature set is incredible. Do you remember NEMS? I... Because there's a lot of people right now that are in the same position as you where you're going, huh? What's okay, good. Thank you. Well, it's still <laughs> fairly new. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's about a year and a half old. Yeah. NEMS was released uh, about a year and a half ago, but a year ago we, really, uh, we did a video on the, the second edition, which was 1.1. 1. 1. Mm -hmm. Then uh, 1.2 came out, 1.2.1, Anyways, what is NEMS? NEMS is Nagios Enterprise Monitoring Server. And basically what that means is it's a, an appliance that goes on your network that tells you if a hard drive is about to crash. It tells oh, okay. you if a computer is about to fail or if mm -hmm. you've got problems with bandwidth usage from a particular user. It tells you anything that you want to monitor. It shows you that. It's an enterprise monitoring server. Well, there's lots of those available, so what's so exciting about NEMS? Well, it's got a cool name. 
Yeah, the ones that are that that's it. That's why you want it. No, but uh, as a monitoring server, you think about your business network and being able to monitor assets within your network. That is a very expensive process. Mm-hmm. You have to have a server, you have to have an appliance, and you've got to have licensing fees that cost thousands and thousands of dollars per year. NEMS is unique because it uses all open source software. Right. So it's absolutely free as far as software goes. But then you think, okay, well, the hardware's got to be $4,000. Well, no. Right. We built it specifically to run on single board computers, starting with the Raspberry Pi 3. So we're talking about a $35 investment. I mean, for, for a basic Raspberry Pi board, and then you stick NEMS on it, and you put it on an SD card, and you run it, um, that's, that's really... I mean, for Pretty under, attainable. Under 100 bucks, you easily have a server, and people say, well, what, how reliable is it? Um, the, the longest standing NEMS server that I know of was running since version 1.0, and wow. has not failed yet, and it's just, it's continuing to run, and now is running, uh, it's actually on 1.2.3, okay. and soon to be upgraded to 1.3. Huh. All that to say, fantastic software. Go over to nemslinux.com. It's just like it sounds, N-E-M-S, linux.com. And you can download it absolutely free. If you already have a Raspberry Pi, it's great. You can just deploy it on your SD card and boot it up, uh, and it's ready to go. Otherwise, um, you can purchase a Raspberry Pi from that website as well, all the hardware that you need. And neat thing about NEMS 1.3 is that uh, there are networks that are running um, Nagios Enterprise Monitoring Server with hundreds of computers. Right. And it's running great on a Raspberry Pi. Which this is little so thing, cool. It uses five volts of electricity, and it's, it uses bi- virtually no power. So, right. like, there's, there's no cost to operate. It's fantastic. But some people want more power. So this cycle, they're gonna be, we're going to start seeing other hardware available um, as, uh, as NEM servers. Right. So we're going to start seeing NEMS appliances that are more powerful. We've got one device that we're looking at that has 16 gigabytes of RAM, uh, whereas a Raspberry Pi only has one gigabyte. Ooh, that's uh, a big jump. And tonight we're actually looking at a really cool device from Odroid called the XU4Q, and it is... We're going to talk all about it in just a couple of minutes' time, but it's basically um, the next-generation NEM server because... It's a single board computer, but it has two gigabytes of RAM. It's much, much faster than the Raspberry Pi. We're going to get into the specs as we build it tonight. Ooh. Stick awesome. around. It's going to be fun. Sasha, speaking of builds, uh, we yes. finished doing your, uh, your gaming computer. Okay. And how's that been going? Now, uh, of course, it's been, uh, it's been a couple weeks now since you've set that up for Dave. It has been great. He loves it. He absolutely is blown away. We went out and got a new mouse, so that's working out great. Okay, so you just picked one up that was a wireless mouse, and it works better? Yeah, it there was just lagging issues with the other one, so this one is perfect. Um, And then we needed a mouse pad. Yeah, because... (laughs) Um, The the mouse pad was, was meant to be sent with the motherboard, but never actually... Arrived, did it? Right. So oh. then I remember. I forgot yeah, about so that. I was watching the show. So I watched the yes. whole thing on on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was watching the show, and I, I w- was going through, and I was like, "Oh, well, we did actually receive a mouse pad." Because did we was- unbox a mouse pad? Because I remember that the motherboard was meant to come with one. Exactly. 
Um, but then I don't remember ever seeing it. And so yeah. when you took, when you started saying that you were looking for a mouse pad, I, I said, well, I thought that it was supposed to come with one, but I never did see one. Oh. And we had gotten into this box. Did you so, keep it? No. Well, this is this is the box that Sasha was meant to take with her, but she hasn't taken all the. I oh, said, I said you got to take ah, all the recycling. And this right. is this is the recycling. This is the stuff that we didn't use. And lo and behold, Jeff, something that we never ever saw. Oh, look at that. It's like you, a secret compartment. You don't see anything under there, do you? Sasha. Mm-hmm. Dave. <laughs> there it is. Beautiful gaming mouse pad and... It's a good size. Reversible. Well, it's a Republic of Gamer. It's a gaming mouse pad. It's yeah. meant to give you a lot of good gameplay. So huh. it did come with one. I don't suppose you can return the one that you spent an entire day trying to find. Oh, we did find the perfect one, oh, and now you? we have two. Now we you have, have a two. Now. You got one for so. each hand. So uh, now you said the mouse didn't work. Now, if I recall correctly, when we did the show, we talked about possible distance because you were what, like ten feet away potentially. Yes. Okay. So. So is that the issue? In truth, the mouse did work if I was practically right on top. <laughs> okay. Like I, I work. had to be, and because of the way we have our our room set up. Oh, I mean to take a picture every time, and I haven't. Okay. Um, but the the computer is set like a little bit behind the TV to the side of it. So in order for the mouse to really connect well, you kind of had to be standing right beside the TV, mm. but oh, the okay. TV is what we use as our screen. So so it's not that the mouse that we got was a bad mouse. No. Because we, I mean, there was some researching going on with some of your components. It, right. it was just a matter of the distance was too far. Exactly. And the okay. mouse itself, like it clicked very well. It was quiet. It was nice, but it right. just wasn't connecting properly. Ah, so we're keeping it, okay. obviously. It, was, it like, was affordable. It was not an overly expensive mouse. So exactly. That happens. But what hey. was funny is we couldn't really use the computer very well yes, until we yes. had the mouse. So okay. when we went to get the mouse, we got the mouse pad, then we watched the show, and I was like, oh, there is the mouse Oh, pad. did I mention you've got another mouse pad? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I'm glad it all worked out, and yes, we've got to really, like, dump the boxes and see what we've yes. missed. Um, that's kind of funny that a couple of extra things um, are, are there. Uh, Sasha, now, have you gotten, has Dave gotten set up with Steam? At this point, you mentioned that he was having trouble getting his account up yes, and running. Yes, so he finally, so he finally got his account up and running, and then I okay. reset his password. <laughs> oh. So oh. then he had to go through the whole thing again because no. I thought that I remembered what I did. Well, knowing you, you changed it to password one two three exclamation mark. Oh, with an exclamation oh. exclamation mark. Okay, so he's got Steam working yes. at least now at this he's point. Good. Now Steam is up and running and Phew. good. Do you remember yes. when uh, when we had Henry go down to the VR Expo in Toronto? Yes. Now he met with a company that uh, Badfly Interactive, and they showed off a wicked cool VR game that was uh, Dead Effect Two. Right. right. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fantastic game. If you haven't seen the video yet, go onto our website, category5.tv, and just do a quick search for virtual reality, and you're going to see a whole bunch of clips of different things. Now, Sasha, for Dave, yes, we have a coupon code for Dead Effect 2 on Steam. So that's for Dave. Ooh. And this is like this is virtual reality um, first-person shooter. I mean, it's it's just a ton of fun uh, and certainly, you know, takes gaming to the next level. Absolutely. 
It's going to run really, really well on your gaming rig. It's for Steam. And we've got other coupon codes for Steam as well. So if you would like a free copy of Dead Effect 2 VR from Badfly Interactive, all you have to do is send us an email, contest at category5.tv. Tell us your name, where you're watching from, and how you're tuning in to Category 5 TV, whether it be on Roku or on Channel 33 in the high desert, or if you're watching uh, on YouTube. Uh, just let us know how you're tuning into Category 5. Send us a little note along with that just to say, hey, and we're going to put your, your name in a draw. We have uh, at least 10 weeks of giveaways coming up wow. leading, leading up to the Christmas season because we want to make sure that you've got all this really cool gear uh, before, uh, before the Christmas shopping is done, we'll say. So, Exciting. Uh, make sure you cast your ballot contest at category5.tv, and we've got one of those for you as well. Or just give me <laughs> all you. your email addresses, all your submit your information for you. I promise it'll go in. <laughs> there you I go. I love a good contest. <laughs> Jeff walks away with <laughs> 10 copies of the game. What good is that? What yeah. good is it? It's luck of the draw. Screen. Okay, so we've got to take a really, really quick break. When we come back, we're going to be uh, unboxing the Odroid Cloud Shell 2. We're going to tell you all about what that means, and we're going to get into it, and we're going to actually Assemble the thing oh, really nice. in just a couple of minutes' cool. time. Stick around. We'll be right back. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners and thank you for watching. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. We've got to get right into it. We're going to be taking a look at the Odroid Cloud Shell 2. Right now, it's just a box. I'm going to set it down, and we're going to take a look. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to actually assemble this thing, put it together for you. And what's included in my box of the Cloud Shell 2 is the Odroid XU4Q. You see this? This is a SBC. I'm going to call it the Raspberry Pi Killer here tonight, folks. And the Q in the name stands for quiet, and that's that huge heatsink that you see there that is going to keep this thing cool without a fan. Why is it a Raspberry Pi killer? Well, do you see the circuits? Uh, it's basically compatible as far as the form factor goes, but we've got gigabit Ethernet, 4K video output, and more. We're going to talk all about that. Now, in the Cloud Shell case, uh, we've got a whole bunch of stuff. There's a USB 3 uh, component ca uh, cable. We've got the ribbon cable, a bunch of screws. Uh, we've got... Let's see, the, this is really nice. The front panel includes a 2.8-inch uh, TFT color screen, but it also has a backplane built right into it. Look at that, SATA, and that is for two SATA hard drives. So that's going to give us uh, RAID controller or JBOD or whatever we want to do. That's all built in. We've got a power cable. I've got the Americans uh, kind of... 110, then we've got the 92 millimeter fan to cool it, and a 15 volt 4 amp power brick. Then we've got a couple of little mounting uh, little pieces. As you can see, we're going to show you all about what that does. And the EMMC hard drive. It's basically a replacement for the SD card that you would put in uh, in your Raspberry Pi. There's our battery for the battery backup for the uh, real-time clock and then the components themselves for the case. Now, you'll notice that they have a little bit of a cloudy finish, and that's because 
each of these components have a protective film on it. Now, you may not see it, and you may not be able to really easily uh, get to it, but if you get your nail under there, you're going to see that you can peel that right back. And we need to do both sides of each of these pieces of plastic. So uh, that's just there to protect it during uh, manufacturing, during um, shipping itself. But make sure, now, if it is not crystal clear, uh, then you know that that has some film on it. So uh, once that's done, they're going to be perfectly clean, clear, and not going to have that cloudy look to them whatsoever. So now we just have to kind of figure out where to plug everything in. Um, but I want to do this with a Kingston SSD if I can. So let's give it a go. I'm just going to put it on this mounting bracket to make it the uh, same size as a 3.5-inch uh, hard drive. And then I should be able to mount it to the side brackets here. So set everything up. And just a couple of screws on each side should do it. Uh, but we need to make sure that it's lined up right now. I've noticed that I've actually got it mounted the wrong way around here, Jeff. So I Whoops. need to actually turn that over. <laughs> Pay attention, Robbie. Okay, there we go. Lined up to the back plane just fine. That's better. I can put that back together. Through the magic of TV, we can speed this up for you so it's not... Uh, a full hour. <laughs> there we go. Now all I have to do is just plug in the back plane. You'll see that it just kind of snaps onto the back plane there um, because it is just an SATA hard drive, so that carries power and uh, the the data as well. Uh, but what I'm noticing here with the SSD, uh, in particular with this mounting apparatus, is that it's not lining up. So the problem with that is... Now, I can't line it up to the back plane. That's a problem. So I do have a server here that has some old uh, 500 gig hard drives in it. I'm going to pull those out as we take a really quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to take that SSD out of there, and we're going to instead install physical, like, spinning hard drives, old okay. school style. All right, so stick around. We'll be right back. You've got mad skills. Now hone them. Learn new skills or improve your existing ones with online video tutorials and training from lynda.com through our special link at cat5.tv slash lynda. Learn software, technology, creative, and business skills you can use today to help you achieve your professional goals. Join today and start learning. We'll give you this chance to try it absolutely free with unlimited access to all of the courses. Sign up now for free, cat5.tv slash linda. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Now, tonight, we are building the Odroid Cloud Shell 2 with the XU4 single board computer. I'm, I'm calling it the Raspberry Pi killer because oh. it is way more powerful than the Raspberry Pi. So let's fire it back up, and we're going to throw these hard drives in that I pulled out of an old uh, server that I've got here. These are just 500 gig Barracudas, so we'll just remove them from the mounting apparatus and just take this SSD out. Now, I do want to do the SSD thing, so in a couple of moments, I'm going to show you a bracket that we could use that would allow me to use my SSDs in this system, but you can see that the normal hard drives line up really really well and so we're going to go that route just for tonight for the sake of time and for the sake of the demonstration so that looks good it's going to work with this backplane just fine so we'll put these drives in uh now this particular unit the cloud shell 2 the case it includes the backplane that has raid uh, RAID capabilities. So uh, by putting two hard drives in here, I can set up a mirror. I can make it so that these two computer, uh, these two hard drives will have an exact image of one another so that if one of the hard drives crashes, I still have the data. 
So we should be able just to plug that right in now. These ones line up a lot better than that uh, than that SSD with the just kind of the included mounting plate. So if we just line that up and give it a little push, should be nice and snug. There we go. Okay. All right, looking good. Not too tough to put this thing together, is it, Jeff? No, that was simple. Sasha, do you appreciate the ease? I'm just going to stick a couple of screws in here to <laughs> just to hold that together. That's just for the side of the uh, the faceplate itself. A little quicker and easier to do it this way than uh, the build that we've had to do. So this is the 92 millimeter fan. I'm just going to mount that here. And one of the things that you're going to notice, I'm just going to put in three screws. You're going to understand that in a couple of minutes' time, uh, but. Essentially, when you're putting the fan on here, we just want three screws. And the other thing that's important is we observe the airflow direction. There's a little arrow here that shows me that it's blowing out the back of the computer. That's important. We want to draw the hot air out of the chassis and blow it out. Now, I can plug it directly into the board, but it did include a, uh, a current limiter here. And that is actually going to slow down the fan, make it quieter, uh, because it has a lower spin speed. So I would recommend that we install that first, uh, and then we're going to monitor the temperature. And, and see if we need to remove that. It's a nice, easy thing to undo if we need to. Um, with hard drives, spinning hard drives like this, we're going to generate a lot more heat than we would with an SSD. Uh, so the SSD component, when I upgrade to that, is going to run a lot cooler, so I'm happy to use that limiter. I may need to remove that with these hard drives. So the Odroid XU4Q is right there. Look at that board. It is just like a, a Raspberry Pi as far as form factor goes. And this case just kind of snaps together, as you can see. Um, and there we go. So now we're going to actually um, mount the Odroid itself. But I did notice that I've missed a couple of, uh, of films here. So we do need to make sure that we've got all of those um, removed. Just watch those little components. They kind of got set aside and I missed it. Uh, so now we're just going to put these, uh, these little connectors, these riser connectors onto these little components. And it's a little confusing if you don't have a visual to see, you know, the manual makes it a little difficult to see. So I hope that this helps you um, to be able to mount this. Before I mount it, I noticed that there's an eMMC input, which is going to be my hard drive. So this is a jack for the, the hard drive itself. This replaces an SD card, so it's much more reliable, much faster, and it's going to um, give us a lot of life. So we just kind of snap that on. I would recommend that you do buy that. It's sold separately, but it's going to be more reliable than an SD card for sure, and a lot faster. So now I can mount the board, and keep in mind, it's a little backwards to what you would expect. It actually hangs. The board hangs, so it's not mounting from the bottom. It's mounting from the top of the board. Hmm. So I mentioned that this is the Raspberry Pi Killer. It is an eight-core single-board computer, Jeff. Really? Eight cores. It's got two gigabytes of DDR3 RAM. Uh, make sure you keep your maker kit handy, by the way. Um, here, I actually needed to pull a couple of screws because um, there were a couple of screws missing. With eight cores, two gigabytes of DDR3 RAM, this thing runs up to 2.0 gigahertz. Uh, which makes it more than twice as fast as a Raspberry Pi 3, their latest wow. version. And we know that the Raspberry Pi is not bringing out a new version anytime soon. So this is the next gen. Uh, and definitely, you know, this gets you back on top of the single board computer market. So it just kind of snaps in there. And then we need to just apply this ribbon cable, which we're going to bend just to uh, make it um, so that it connects the way that we want it to. Uh, I'm going to just fold the cable a little bit here so that it, um, it looks clean and uh, it's not kind of just draped over everything. Uh, we need it to, to be able to reach the board. So uh, just connect that in. It's like an old IDE cable takes me back. 
I know. <laughs> so then that's going to go into the uh, the front panel. What that's going to do is it's going to provide power to the circuit board. So we don't need to have separate power for the uh, X, XU4 at all. It also provides the signal to the screen on the front panel. So uh, And then some other communication as well. So but the screen is actually a color computer screen. And every, every bit of the signal goes through this cable. So uh, now the final kind of step here is we need to connect the SATA controller uh, but first um, I need to make sure now you see this little dip switch here that's gonna select between the EMMC and the SD card I don't want to leave that out um, as you can use either or you can choose which one you want to use here is a selector a dip switch for the RAID controller I'm going to zoom in a little bit on, on this so that you can see. So this allows me to select RAID 0, RAID 1, SPAN or JBOD, and PM. PM is basically default mode, like normal hard drive mode, so independent drives. That's the mode that I'm going to use, so both switches are going to be off. So then we plug in this USB cable, which is uh, actually USB 3. That's another advantage to the Odroid XU4, is that it has USB 3, whereas the Pi has USB 2, and it's very, very slow. This one is very, very fast, and it's... Uh, uh, USB attached or uh, SCSI, so it's very very fast compared to typical uh, USB connected hard drives. So just simple slide and click, finish putting this thing together. Look at that! Wow. Now I mentioned this uh, battery here. This is sold separately, but this makes it so that if you unplug the power from the Odroid, uh, it will remember the time and date. I think that's important. So for the extra couple of dollars that it costs to buy a battery for it, yes. might as well get the RTC battery, a real-time clock, and that just kind of goes in there and I just push it aside. Uh, that just helps with that. And that's pretty much all there is to it. So slide the cover on there. And uh, now it's still, you know, nothing's quite locked into place yet. But look at that. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, now the bottom of this chassis is wide open. So check this out. Underneath, we've got a lot of airflow. But we need to be mindful of that. If you're going to set it on a shelf or something like that, you know, you're not, you need to be mindful that it is wide open. On the side is where you plug in the power. And again, this is a 15 volt power cable and it powers everything. You don't need to have separate power for the Odroid. Um, now the final piece is to lock the cover in place with this little guy. This is why I didn't want to have that third, the fourth screw in the, uh, the chassis fan. Because now with that lock in place, screw in that final screw. And that's all there is to it. Now, we're done. Everything's locked. Cool. Good and solid. Beautiful little rig. I love the look of it. Now, you can get one of these at cat5.tv slash cs2 for Cloud Shell 2. Um, of course, you can also pick up the board itself, cat5.tv slash xu4q. You're going to need both of those components in order to put this thing together. Absolutely awesome. Now, a couple of other upgrades that you could get for this if you want, Jeff. I love the fact that it's crystal clear. Yes. yes. Love, the, love yes. the look of it. So I went and picked myself up a 92-millimeter replacement chassis fan uh, that has built-in LED lights. lighting. Yes. Okay? So it's so going to make cool. this thing glow. Really, really cool. One of the things I was disappointed with there is that I couldn't plug in my Kingston SSD. Right. I would like to have this for a couple of reasons. First, 
extremely cool, no moving parts. It's not going to generate heat. Two, it's very, very reliable. There are, again, no moving, no moving parts. So if it gets bumped or if it's you know just spinning all the time 24-7, it's not going to have that wear and tear of a physical right. spinning hard drive. Um, and they're just, <laughs> just ultra-reliable, ultra-fast, and I can set them up in a RAID 1. What? Nice. So in order to do that, of course, the included um, chassis mount, was not meant for a backplane. Not going to do it for you. So I picked up one of these, which um, I'll post a link below in the comments. Uh, actually, I picked up two of these, I should say, oh, okay. for my drives. So what this is, is a little different from the one that's included. And just a simple little upgrade. It looks like the back of a hard drive. Right. An SATA hard drive. You slip the SSD in here. Oh. And it snaps in. There we are. It's done. And now it, it has the exact form factor to spec right. of an SATA hard drive. So now it will fit that backplane. Cool. So my next upgrade is to now switch to these Kingston SSDs. I've got a couple of DC400s, which are really reliable right. uh, enterprise drives, beautiful drives. And that's going in my Odroid case. Nice. Beautiful. So what can you do with this? What can't you do with it? Well, Flex Media Server. Okay. Gaming. Nice. You want to do some retro gaming on here? Turn this into a retro gaming system? Imagine with eight cores, two gigs of RAM, how much more powerful that's going to be than a Raspberry Pi. Right. You want to build your own network-attached storage device, a NAS? Now, the one thing I am noticing is that there's no peripheral plugins. It's for what? Anything. Like, well, I'm not seeing... Oh, it's on the side. I, yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't even see right that. Right over here. We've got USB, and we've got HDMI 4K output. Totally We've missed. got uh, 10 over 100 over 1,000 Ethernet. There is no built-in Wi-Fi, but you can plug one into the USB. Oh, okay. I would say probably put it <laughs> internally, because there are USB 3 ports inside the, the chassis. Um, so you can put that in there to hide it and not to use up one of your external ports here. See, I was paying attention to the bell. I wasn't even yeah, looking yeah, at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's got an SD port here uh, for SD cards, micro SD. Uh, and so on. And of course, because Excellent. it's USB, you could always, if you wanted to, grab the USB 3.0 from the inside here mm -hmm. and run a cable out the back or out the side. There are some ports here. Yes. And have it go to a USB 3 hub. And then you've okay. got multiple USB 3 ports that are powered. Right. So you can do all that kind of stuff. It's built to be, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a DIY NAS box. Nice. How do you like that? So if you, and NAS being network attached storage, you can set this up as a new server. A nice economical server for your network, be it business or Very home. Very nice. When I say Plex, that's a media server so that you can watch TV shows on any of your devices. It's like a DIY uh, build-your-own-Netflix server. I love it. And you can just load Every your shows Every day we're on. on Plex. Beautiful. But Plex through a Raspberry Pi. Now, this is two to three times faster. I know. With better specs, better performance, and real hard drives for storage. Yes. Beautiful. Check that out, cat5.tv slash xu4q for the circuit board, or cat5.tv slash cs2 for the case itself. We've got some other components listed there in the description below. Post your comments, let us know what you think. And think Sasha. You built that really, really fast. I know, the magic of television is a beautiful in thing. I love that we can do that. Incredible. <laughs> All right. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category5.tv newsroom. Broadcom has confirmed a $130 billion buyout for offer for their arrival, Qualcomm. Some iPhone users are fuming over the new letter I bug. Tor has been leaking users' real IP addresses. And Australia's multi-million dollar broadband network is under attack 
from cockatoos. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Weston. Yeah, man. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. Right. Yeah, I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. This is the Category5.tv Newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. Broadcom has confirmed its multi-billion dollar bid for Qualcomm, revealing more details of the $130 billion all cash and shares offer to buy out its rival chip maker. Both Qualcomm and Broadcom are specialists in system-on-chip products, putting ARM-compatible silicon into various items, such as smartphones and the widely drawn world of the Internet of Things, which all chip makers regard as the future of chip sales and manufacture. Broadcom's offer comprises $70 per share, which we now know is a fact, and is made up of $60 in cash and $10 in stocks. Broadcom CFO Thomas Krauss said, We look forward to engaging immediately in discussions with Qualcomm so that we can sign a definitive agreement and complete this transaction expeditiously. It's a bold move by Broadcom. Qualcomm, on the other hand, has sued Apple, attracted the interest of antitrust authorities in America, and earned the enemy of Intel. On the flip side, it's not only profitable, but is in the middle of its own multi-billion dollar buyout of a rival. So... Um, the Internet of Things is definitely 100% the future of this actual product itself, right? Like, well, for sure. Yeah, the Internet of Things being like connected devices and, and so on, right? So uh, if you're a chip manufacturer, you want to be in on that. Right. Okay, so what exactly is a system on a chip? Like it's... Uh, well, I would imagine, I mean, we're talking about um, chips with firmwares so that the software is actually running on the circuit, uh, mm -hmm. on the chip itself. Um, but these guys, I mean, Broadcom does, um, I think it's uh, like broadcast um, circuits and chips, and uh, Qualcomm does the modems uh, for these devices. Mm -hmm. um, so various different, you know, different needs. You, don't, you think of an iPhone and you think about a specific phone. You don't think about the fact that each little chip is made by different manufacturers, Broadcom being one, Qualcomm being another. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. But I, you know what my question is, if Qualcomm's doing so well and is actually a good rival, why bother? Is Qualcomm doing so well? Well. Are they? Yeah. Are they? Yeah. They're profitable, they say. Yes. Hey, 70 How bucks a share? <laughs> That's the offer. Okay, so Qualcomm is profitable, right? Right. But consider the dispute that they've had since before January with Apple. Like they're one of their biggest customers, and obviously one of the biggest manufacturers in the world uh, as far as m mobile devices and, and that kind of thing goes. So they're profitable. Yeah, we're making money. We're in the black, but we're ni they're ninety percent down on previous years. So their their profit right. is way down. 
compared right. to previous years. So, no, they're not doing well. They're, they are profitable. They're still making money, but they're on the decline. Hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well. So, you know, the, the thing with that, you know, why would Broadcom be looking at buying Qualcomm? Well, it's, it's an opportunity. They're doing poorly right now. Right. And mm-hmm. as far as that goes, and I think it really all surrounds the Apple thing. I shouldn't say that they're, they're doing poorly. They're not. Then they have other customers. But uh, the whole thing with Apple is they've, they've got patents that they're just, dis- you know, Apple is disputing the fees that go along with those patents. And Qualcomm is fighting them and they're suing each other. And there's all these lawsuits going back and forth, right? So it makes me wonder if there's a, a perspective on it that, you know, Broadcom's sitting there going, well, if they win this, we get access to all the earnings. If Apple or, oh, if they win the buyout. Right. Yeah. Well, this is it. Here's the thing. So imagine their, their, stocks, have, their stocks went down, yep. Qualcomm, mm-hmm. because of the lawsuit and everything else. So they're doing poorly that way. Uh, then along comes Broadcom in this perfect moment and like a vulture says, okay, we'll give you this unimaginable, like the biggest buyout in tech ever, uh, $100 billion at, in order to take over your company. So if they say yes, now... Mm-hmm. Broadcom buys up all those uh, the patent portfolio and now owns it and settles things with Apple, fixes that relationship because Apple is, is already on the fence about their relationship with Qualcomm and right. saying, you know, maybe we want to just sever this relationship altogether. So if they say yes, if Qualcomm says yes to the buyout, now uh, Broadcom can fix things with Apple and, and redeem that whole relationship and become this bigger entity. Now, right. if, if Qualcomm says no, however... The stocks go back down. The right. stocks plummet. Right. And Apple says, you know what? We still want out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not a sure thing. This is just a theory, but, you know, what, what timing? What absolute timing? Here? If you're Qualcomm, you pretty much don't have a choice. You kind of right. don't. I, yeah. I, I kind of feel that way. It's like, okay, we really need to take this. Otherwise, we're done. Yeah. Like, our stocks are way down. Uh, now, their stocks rose when the offer came. Right. Like, like big time. And are continuing to rise uh, at a slower pace, but you know it's it's happening. So as soon as they say yes, it's going to be a good thing for you know for everything involved. But if they say no, then it's going to drop right back down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. It's all in relation to Broadcom, I think. Wow. All right. Thank you. <laughs> all the things that happen behind the scenes. <laughs> Speaking of Apple, um, some iPhone users have been left frustrated after an update to the iOS operating system curiously began to autocorrect the letter I to a capital A with a question mark. <laughs> the affected version of iOS 11.1 is available on iPhones and iPads. A technology reporter shared his frustration on Twitter saying, I have a $1,150 telephone that can't read the letter I. Apple has outlined a temporary fix for the problem on its website. The fix involves editing the keyboard settings so an in iOS so that the right character, either an upper or lowercase i, is used. Apple has said that the issue will be fixed in a future software update, <laughs> and not all iOS 11.1 users have been affected. Wow. Just the Canadians. <laughs> yeah, the Canadian a? bug. Yeah. It's not a bug, it's a Canadian upgrade. <laughs> you would think that would be a simple patch, just fix it, upload it, and be done with it in one day. Right, right. You yeah. would think you would think that, but it co- perhaps it's it's not. I'm kind of envying Android right now, where if you have problems with your keyboard, you just install a different keyboard. R- yeah. yeah, Apple is like locked in. It's like you're on Apple, you can't change things. Huh. Right. So now, what would cause they, an autocorrect issue like that? 
uh, programming uh, or a bad dictionary a virus or not a virus i don't think uh that'd be pretty unlikely i mean it could be like a disgruntled employee um who you know having tried to delete the president's twitter account (laughs) (laughs) and so decided to inject a strange character it sounds to me like this was an update to ios 11.1 that was meant to introduce all these new emojis so maybe 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 the emoji like i think about i and then a strange or a and then a strange question mark character kind of seems to me like maybe a high ASCII issue or something like that Hmm. so you know the programmer in me thinks "Hmm, maybe that you know it's trying to output a a unicode character or something like that so what that means is maybe it was just that key that particular autocorrect got corrupted or changed to something that it shouldn't have been and so it's correcting everything because as you type it replaces words so imagine every time you press i and hit space it replaces it with a Hey, <laughs> which would be fine unless you're trying to type in your password. Oh, that's oh, true. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. Or a phone. <laughs> <laughs> ah, my stupid a phone. It is keeps funny doing this. That it's like it's an I, right? Yeah. So, yes. Like, yeah. Well, maybe that. So that makes me think. Maybe. It's maybe a prank. Maybe a prank. It's. It seems a little bit too good to be true as far yeah. as humor. <laughs> All right. Max and Linux versions of the Tor anonymity browser just received a temporary fix for a critical vulnerability that leaks users' IP addresses whenever they visit certain types of addresses. Turmoil, as the flaw has been dubbed by its discoverer, is triggered when users click on links that begin with file colon slash slash rather, rather than the more common HTTPS colon slash slash and HTTP colon slash slash address prefixes. When the Tor browser for macOS and Linux is in the process of opening such an address, the operating system may directly connect to the remote host by bypassing Tor browser. On Friday, members of the Tor project in issued a temporary workaround that plugs the IP leak. Until the final fix is in, in place, updated versions of the browser may not behave properly when navigating to file colon slash slash addresses. They said both the Windows versions of Tor and Tails, as well as the sandboxed Tor browser that's in alpha testing, aren't vulnerable. Tor's statement Friday said that there's no evidence that the flaw has been actively exploited on the internet or dark web to obtain the IP addresses of Tor users. Of course, the lack of evidence doesn't mean that the flaw wasn't exploited by law enforcement officers, private investigators, or even stalkers for that matter. And now that a fix is available, it will be easy for adversaries who don't know about the vulnerability before to create working exploits. Anyone who relies on Mac or Linux versions of the Tor browser to shield their IP address should update as soon as possible and be ready for the possibility, however remote, that their IP addresses have already been leaked. Hmm. Wow. Very tool that's meant to protect your IP and identity. Yeah. Online. Boy. It's true. I have used and understand the prefix HTTPS, right? With yeah. And HTTP. Like a secure website. Exactly. Yeah, or an unsecure website. I've never b- typed in file colon slash slash. Mm. But you could click when, on links on a website that would take you there. Right, of course. But mm-hmm. like, I don't understand why you would even need to use something like that. Like, what's the... I okay, so file is. colon slash slash typically refers to files on your own hard drive. Mm-hmm. So a oh. website... 
for example, if I was creating a tutorial on how to access network shares, um, I could tell you in my tutorial on my blog, uh, in order to access your server at IP address 192.168.0.5, you can go to slash slash 192.168. So I, I could use it in a tutorial and file colon slash slash tells my browser, do this on the local network. Right. Or it might be like a local file for some, you know, for some reason or, you know, a local uploaded image or something. So it, there are cases where it could be needed mm-hmm. or where it is legitimately used. Uh, I know like DocuWiki, for example, will convert um, local network share addresses into links so that if I'm on my personal network and I click on that link, it will take me to my local internal server. Right. So that's a file colon slash slash link. Hmm. Fairly uncommon, but in the you know in the wild, once this exploit is now known, people may in fact put those links on websites, right. or not even links, but JavaScript redirects, for example, to exploit the person's IP address. Right. Yeah. Now that the fix is available, now people are like, "Ooh, oh, look yeah. at what I can do." <laughs> well, yeah. You know what happens when a fix comes out? Is everybody who is malicious says. Oh, that's how I can get people uh, people's IP addresses. Right. right now, there's a fix. I know how to exploit that browser. Right now, now for mm-hmm. people that use Tor browser, they obviously don't want their IP addresses to be sure. exposed. So, mm-hmm. what happens in this case now, where their IP address is exposed? Is there anything they can do? What can you do if your IP is exposed, right? Like your ISP, your internet service provider controls your IP address. Think of the IP as, and it stands for Internet Protocol, it's your, your, your phone number for your computer, right. for your network. So when you go to Google and you type in a search, it responds back to your computer with the results. And mm-hmm. that is done through your IP address, and that's very, very important. And it generally, you know, if you're on cable or, or fiber or anything like that, generally doesn't change. And if it does, it's very infrequent, like every couple of years. Uh, I know cable, cable internet here in Canada, it might be every couple of years you'll see your IP address change. When they rolled out IPv6, the IP address has changed, and I think that's the only time that I've had it change in four years. Now, see, with mine, um, if I restart my modem, mm-hmm. my IP address changes. So you're on DSL? Uh, no, I'm on cable. You're on cable, and are you sure it changes? Your public yes. IP changes? Yep. So some ISPs do that. Um, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Because there's a pool of IP addresses, there's no guarantee that it's going to change when you restart your router. No, that's Certainly right. DSL is a case where it's probably going to change because it, it reconnects over PPPoE with your username and password and then gets a new IP address right. every, every time you restart your router mm-hmm. uh, or your modem. So it's a little bit different. But with internet on cable, it quite often it keeps the same IP address. Right, and that's what shocked me is when I saw that mine reset, I was like, yeah. well, that's interesting, because I, I sure. chatted with my uh, ISP about it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. why did this happen? They're like, oh, yeah. it's a security feature they have. In a business, yeah. though, in a business, typically, you're going to be sitting on a, a, a static IP address. Correct, yes. Right. That means that phone number of your network never changes. So if somebody is exploited on that IP address, you are n- never going to lose that IP address. It is now identifiable to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good times. If you're interested in knowing what an IP address reveals, here's a little trick for you. Go to Google, 
Okay, so just go to your favorite Google uh, search engine. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say Google is because they have a tool. In the search, instead of doing a search, just type in IP. So that stands for Internet Protocol. And it will actually respond with your public IP address. So what Google sees your IP address is. Now copy that and go to MaxMind.com. M-A-X-M-I-N-D.com. MaxMind is a geolocation technology that allows uh, credit card processors and banks and online e-sales portals to use IP geolocation data to verify people's identities. So that service is used for legitimate purposes so that people can verify that, hey, yeah, you're making a purchase on my website. You're, uh, you say you're from Quebec, and indeed you are. Check. If you say you're from Quebec and you're actually in Israel, I think there's a red flag there. Right. So you go to MaxMind.com, and if you scroll down the page a little bit, there's a little place where you can paste an IP address to test it. Paste that IP address from Google in there and go. And you're going to see all the information that MaxMind reveals about your IP address. Cool. Oh. Interesting little test for you if you'd like to see what your IP address reveals. I'm doing that today. Very, mm -hmm. very cool. Thank you. Take it one step further. Uh -oh. Real quick, it gives you longitude and latitude. Copy that, paste it back into Google Maps. It tells you where you are? No, just try it. Okay. It gives you a longitude and latitude result. Paste it into Google Maps and see what you find. Oh, no, I'm actually... I'm scared. All right. <laughs> Australia's multi-million dollar broadband network is under attack from cockatoos. <laughs> the National Broadcast Network said it has spent tens of thousands of dollars so far fixing cables that have been chewed by the birds. They also estimate the bill will rise sharply as more damage is uncovered. In an attempt to improve Australia's internet speed, currently lagging behind many developed countries at 11.1 megabits per second, a national telecommunications infrastructure project has been instigated and is due for completion in 2021. But engineers have but engineers returning to sites have been finding spare cables chewed and frayed. The culprits are cockatoos, a type of parrot which normally eats fruit, nuts, wood, and bark. And, and now wires. <laughs> the company has had to replace power and fiber cables at the cost of tens of thousands of dollars each time. So far, they say they have spent $80,000 of local currency, which is roughly 61500 U.S., the company says it's currently installing protective casings, which cost $14 each, and that will protect the wires from the birds in the future and save billions of dollars and save their $3 billion network from further damage. Wow. wow. So. <laughs> Stop making the internet out of nuts and berries. <laughs> it reminds me of an old story that we told um, in the news about mice were eating the interior, like the soundproofing or something inside a car that was green. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's right. They so, had um, some kind of biodegradable um, insulation yes. and wiring uh, insulation right. that was... Right. Apparently delicious. So I'm thinking that the birds probably aren't eating the wires. I think that they're right. probably using them as, as either nest material because it probably looks like a twig. <laughs> or perhaps Australia didn't think about it and put something yummy in there. You know what? I, I think know. it's more that they're sharpening their beaks. I mean, they're known... Yes. Cockatoos are known to peck yes. to sharp, sharpen their beaks. So okay. you, you get something like a, a good solid wire and... 
looks like a good thing to sharpen yeah. my beak on. Mm-hmm. I mean, as weird as this story is that it's cockatoos, yeah. what I was actually most shocked about is the fact that their internet is so slow. Oh, 11.1 megabits per second. And that's high. Like their average in Australia is 8.5. Like that's insane. How is it that Australia is so far behind on that? How far behind are they? Well, think about this. For the birds. Uh, Ultra HD video on Netflix is 25 megabits per second. Right. So why are they so far behind, Jeff? Cockatoos? No, I, I think, you know, it's probably political. Uh, okay. the, the, the company that runs the internet service in Australia is government run. And uh, in you know, the early 2000s, the plan was to upgrade the infrastructure to fiber. We were going to do 100 megabit fiber lines all throughout Australia right. and upgrade everyone. So you know, I think the plan was that 95% of Australia would have access to fiber internet. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. Now, the 2013 election happened. And the liberals came in and said, you know what, we're actually going to change things and we're going to, instead, we're going to focus on cost savings. We're going to try to make, you know, we're going to make the black here. And um, that didn't go so well for the internet. No. No. The choice was made at that time that instead of upgrading to fiber, we're going to tap into the existing copper infrastructure and try to work with that. So use newer technologies over the copper infrastructure and keep going with that. And so the, the idea was that it was supposed to be cheaper. It was supposed to be faster to deploy. And it turned out it was neither. And it's costing them a lot of money. And they've got this terrible infrastructure that is being eaten by cockatoos. Yeah. That's too bad. They're tapping into yeah. the infrastructure. I think that the solution would be it's government stuff right like so it's it's like a government monopoly over the internet so imagine if your internet service was provided by the government that's how it is in australia so uh because of that infrastructure is completely driven by governmental budgets and and um, legislation and and bureaucracy so you think about that and you know if they would just privatize that sector of you know, the the infrastructure of internet telecommunications if they could and privatize that everywhere cried well <laughs> yeah you, you've got a different perspective i'm sure but you think about you know why are they so slow that's the question yeah why is their internet yeah. so slow because it's it's not uh pardon me it's it's not publicly right uh, yep. you know it's right. private right now i i want it to you know i, I think that sorry it should be public because right. if it was public, then we've got competition. We've got mm-hmm. fair competition. We've got the price coming down. You know, the government says, oh, well, the Australians don't want it to be faster. They don't want what? the. Th- that's what they said. They don't that's want what the that? CEO of the, the broad, broadcast uh, company or whatever they call themselves, uh, that's what they said. But oh, the fact ridiculous. is, they don't want to pay for it. If they you're don't... watching and you're from Australia, yeah. <laughs> please comment. Am I right? Like, <laughs> it's not, I mean, the government is misquoting uh, Australians and saying that they don't mm. want to have it when really they just don't want to pay the uh, astronomical fee that the government wants to charge them for it. So if it was public, huh. instead right. of privatized, pardon me, if it was public, then there'd be competition and the infrastructure could go up and the cost could come down. So now mm. I can get faster internet and it's affordable. That's the key thing. So, really, the tagline out of this is, Polly want a cookie. How about our internet is cookies? Internet is cookies. Yeah. (laughs) Internet's for the birds. (laughs) Boy, oh boy. It's just bad. 
<laughs> it's very punny. What are you talking about? <laughs> Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. Thanks, Sasha. This is Category 5 Technology TV. I hope you've enjoyed being here with us tonight. We'd love to hear from you. Get on over to our website, Category5.tv. You'll see our community forum there. Great place to interact with us. We're also on Bookface. So yes, we are. Head on over to Facebook. Do a search for Category 5 Technology TV. You'll see the three of us there. And uh, we'd love to hear from you there. If you're on the Twitter, uh, you can get us there. Mm -hmm. We'll be like tweeting 280 characters as soon as Hootsuite upgrades their API. But we won't be cockatooing. Cockatooing. <laughs> that's a new verb. <laughs> wow. All right, folks. That's all the time we have. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>